Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, it's episode 54 and we have a great show lined up for you today. Phoenix Rising have a lot to look forward to in this, the month of May, including a Round 4 Open Cup game against Sacramento Republic on May 11th. Jeff Wendt joins us on the show today to reflect on our Open Cup journey so far in 2022, and he takes us back in time to 2014, which is the last time that the team, then called Arizona United, made it this far in the US Open Cup. John Morrissey chimes in with his weekly segment, bringing us news and results from around the league that matter to Phoenix Rising fans. John is well known for his analysis on Twitter under the handle at USL Tactics. He's also a contributor to the USL Show podcast, a show I subscribe to and recommend. We've got a preview of our next game, which is against San Antonio FC. And yes, I can't avoid it any longer, dear friends. We have an analysis of our devastating 3-0 loss at the hands of LA Galaxy 2 Los Dos. The good news is that Kelly McCarthy and John Morrissey are our analysts for that match, here to review the game and more importantly, to figure out how a loss like this could happen. Let's kick things off with that game roundup, then we'll get on to our special segment on the Open Cup with Jeff Went. Thanks for downloading and sharing this podcast. Enjoy. What's up, football-loving maniacs? This is Devin Kerr, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Oh, holy hell, this isn't happening. Those are the words that one Phoenix Rising fan used to describe Phoenix Rising's 3-0 away loss to LA Galaxy 2 Los Dos on Sunday, May 1st. I can't make any sense of what's happened, so I'm delighted to have John Morrissey from the USL Show podcast with me today to help us to unwrap, understand, and process this performance. John, welcome back to the Fan Experience. Yeah, pleasure as always to be here. Be sure to follow John Morrissey on Twitter. He goes by the handle at USL Tactics. Your future self will thank you. Okay, also joining us is our regular analyst, Kelly McCarthy. Kelly, thanks for joining us today. Would you do us the honor of kicking things off and setting the scene for us? Absolutely. It's my pleasure. So moving into this match, Phoenix Rising is on a great run of form, having won six matches in 22 days. We were all talking about this. This is every match in the month of April. So not only does Phoenix have momentum on their side, but they also have a long history of beating LA Galaxy 2 Los Dos. I want to say 17 wins in 25 matchups. So we love to beat them. We're expected to do so, especially coming off of seven days of rest. Now that said, keep in mind of those you know, last six matches that Phoenix won, five of them were at home at Wild Horse Pass in front of a stadium of cheering fans, which is, you know, where they like to be. That's Phoenix Rising's happy place. Now, moving into this match, we're looking at an empty LA Galaxy Stadium. It's a huge pitch. We're facing a very young opponent who can run and they will make you run. So this is a little bit of a dangerous situation for Phoenix and complicating things, I'd say a little bit further, 
LA has also been on a great run of form, having lost, I think, only one game in their last five. And guess who that was to? Phoenix Rising. So maybe they're looking for a little bit of redemption. And as I mentioned, they're playing on this large this large pitch that kind of favors their style of play. And they've been doing really well at home this season. So, um, you know, moving into this match, the scene is set as one that is definitely looking for an exciting match. Okay, John, what what about you? What were your thoughts going into this match? So just kind of conceptualizing things, there wasn't really any argument to expect the Rising to lose just because this team had really felt like they had kind of found their footing after some early uh, struggles. At the same time, LA had really shown themselves to be chippy and in these last two weeks, especially, um, they changed from the 4-2-3-1 kind of formation that um, because of, a, as a consequence of what their first team does in LA, they've run that system for years and years. And you finally uh, saw them switch into this kind of 3-5-2-ish uh, shape that's really been unique, but um, especially in their matchup against Las Vegas, it completely let them shut down a sneaky good lights team and they really outplayed Vegas. So I expected Phoenix to come out and certainly take control here. Um, but I knew that maybe LA could be competitive and they, I mean, we'll get into it, but they certainly showed themselves to be. Absolutely. Before we get to the game highlights, John, just want to dig a little bit deeper and take a look at the lineups. And we played Los Dos just a few weeks ago, as we mentioned And so listeners are going to have some familiarity with the players on the LA roster. Lopez in goal, Cobian, Doyle and Neil were their three centre backs. Those five in the middle, Dunbar, Barry, Lamb, Aguirre and Perez. And then the two strikers, Remy Cabral and Michael Salazar. So somebody's missing from this and he is definitely an enemy of Phoenix Rising because he scored a hat-trick on us last year. Of course, that's Preston Judd. Um, what, what did you think about about the um, not not the tactic tactical formation, but just the personnel on the pitch for LA, John? Sure. Well, just to speak to the Judd uh, decision in particular, he's someone who obviously is a striker. Striker. He will be a physical presence in the box, give you that kind of body. Um, and I think the decision to have him uh, start off on the bench was a recognition that this LA team wants to play with a little bit more tempo, be a little bit more fluid. So I thought that was interesting. Um, The other personnel choice that I've kind of been noting has been uh, Kobian starting in the back line. I believe he only debuted a week or two ago. Um, He's a fresh face as you tend to get with these MLS2 teams, but he's really acquitted himself well. So those were definitely uh, between those two were some of the things that stood out to me with LA's lineup. Awesome. Thank you, John. Kelly, over to you. Let's take a look at how Phoenix lined up. Lunt was between the sticks, four defenders, King, Farrell, Lambert and Flood, two holding midfielders, Sejas and Quinn, three forwards, Epps on the left, Calistri on the right, Hurst in the middle as number 10 with Claudio Rapetto on top as the number nine. Yeah, well, you can't really talk about this lineup without talking about that formation shift that you just mentioned. So, you know, 
Rick fielding a 4-2-3-1 is not something that we've seen regularly, does represent a shift, and I do think it will play into some of the lack of success that we have in this game. But just kind of talking about the personnel there in the back line, you see that Ryan Flood continues to get the start over Babakar Njai, who at this point is healthy, recovered from injury, and on the bench. You also see Kev Lambert remains in that center back position, although Musa is still on the injury list with lower body. Um, and then you see, I think pretty notably, Sejas gets that start over Rodriguez. I mean, I'll say gets the start over him. Obviously, this is a bit of a formation shift, but you've got Sejas playing with Aiden Quinn in the midfield. And I'm not really stunned. We've seen them play well together, but I do think it's a little bit of a statement that we've got Rodriguez on the bench. And he's had a little bit of a hard time being effective lately. So we will talk about that a bit as we get into the individual performances. But um, I think noteworthy as well as that front line you mentioned, you know, you've got Marcus Epps, Calistri, Repetto, and Hurst all playing forward. Moar is conspicuously not starting also on the bench, despite being recovered from injury. And you've got back, uh, Epps back in that lineup, uh, which Spoiler, he has a nice night, I think. And then Kalistri. And for me, this is pretty fun to see Kalistri get the start. We don't often. And he had a really effective game against Miami FC on April 23rd. So it was great to see that kind of acknowledged and honored and, and see him getting that start. Um, last thing I want to note is just, I think this game would be Aiden Quinn's 200th appearance in the championship league, which is maybe the fourth most overall. I'm not sure how you, how you talk about that statistic, but you know, hats off to him for sure. He is a stalwart for Phoenix rising and for the championship league in general. So want to honor him with some recognition there. Amazing. Hey, John, what do you have to say about this shape? Is it a more defensive structure? Is it more attacking structure? Is Rick Schantz just playing around with, with formations? What's going on here and what do you think about it? So I think it was an answer to that back three that LA has been coming with. Uh, as Phoenix has grown in confidence, they've become a little bit more aggressive in terms of how they press. And so if you have that lone striker who can get up in the face of a goalkeeper, then you've got that line of three midfielders behind him who can match an, a Los Angeles back three man for man. It lets you press really aggressively. So that to me was the approach. And we saw a couple of early turnovers that I mean, seemed to bear that out. So that sort of explained things for me in terms of the choice. Nice. Okay, let's jump into the highlights, which will tell us what happened. We can look at each highlight and talk about why it happened and then look at the big picture and try to find answers to how things went so badly wrong. Okay, the highlights. So in just the second minute of the game, LA midfielder Johnny Perez sent a perfectly weighted pass across the park to Remy Cabral, who was just inside the area on the left side. Cabral controlled the ball with his right foot and with his left foot, he lobbed the ball up and over the rising keeper, Ben Lund. Lund turned his head to watch the ball fall delicately, almost in slow motion, into the goal behind him. Kelly, such a sublime goal. You've got to give kudos to Remy Cabral for the control, the surgical precision, and the vision to make that happen. 
<laughs> you do. You do have to give credit and you hate giving credit in the second minute of the game. Ouch. But, you know, looking back at this, it really is kind of reflective of how the game would go as, as much as I hate to say it. It's great buildup on the right side of the pitch for Los Dos. You've got Neil Perez and Aguirre linking up really nicely. They will all match. And I think, you know, I'd like John to comment on this if possible. I think Perez and Aguirre both have been called down from the first team. Is that right, John? Um, I know at least with Perez, Aguirre is the kind of guy who I think he's technically on the proper Galaxy roster, but uh, they just loan him down every week because MLS roster rules are weird. So he's functionally a Galaxy 2 player. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, they both probably got pretty noticed after this game. They play really well. Um, And you can see, Niall, as you mentioned, Perez with that great vision and that perfect pass to find Cabral. This wouldn't be the last time that would happen. And this is only Cabral's second goal of the season. The first also being against Phoenix Rising. So, you know, this team wants redemption, as I mentioned at the outset. I think they're feeling very confident. I think they love playing Phoenix Rising, and they are not scared. Phoenix Rising was a little bit stuck in the mud in the first half. The announcers called us lethargic, and I have to agree. I mean, granted, this is only the second minute of the match, but they were just a step behind Los Dos, who were making exceptional passes all night, splitting the defense, causing a chase that we weren't up for, you know, foot races that we weren't able to win. And and then, as you said, it's just a great display of talent by Remy Cabral. I mean, not to mention the shock factor. I just don't think Phoenix was expecting a shot this early in the game. And, you know, I think Ben Lute maybe just wasn't sure where he was. That's all I can say. He has had so many huge saves this season. We've relied on him so much. It feels like a little bit of an error. I don't know if the ball got lost in the sun. Anyone watching this match maybe noticed it wasn't the best to even watch because of that sun. And I have a feeling it wasn't the best to play, especially in the early in that first half. So, you know, I just think he misunderstands a little bit his positioning in relation to the goal and just he's stuck in the mud. So it was really tough. It was that metaphorical punch in the face and Phoenix really needed to respond and respond fast. Yeah. So that shot from Remy Cabral came from the shaded side of the field, right through the the sun. And um, <laughs> can we blame that on the sun, John? I think it was the weird sort of thing where somebody just horribly mishits across and it's impossible to stop. It's like when you see like an Olympico goal on a corner where it's kind of just dumb luck. I think there's that yeah. aspect. The sun matters as well. Um, like, obviously, there was a lot that went into the fact that uh, he was in that space to miss hit the cross and score in the first place. But there was a lot conspiring against Lund there for sure. Okay. In the 10th minute, we saw Phoenix's Claudio Rapetto have a shot on goal at close range. He put it just wide. In that last play with Los Angeles, we mentioned Johnny Perez with the assist. He had a big part to play in the second goal, which came in the 13th minute. It followed a nice give and go on the right side of the pitch. Perez in space again, got a beautiful through ball to Cameron Dunbar, who was racing Darnell King into the area. Dunbar won the race and easily tapped the ball to the right side of goal, while goalkeeper Ben Lund went left. John, a proud moment right there for Cameron Dunbar. Yeah, I mean, he's been so dynamic all season long for this side. 
But um, to me, it was really the second instance in this game where Darnell King was caught out. Um, and I think that's largely a, a function of the tactical dynamic that went on here, which we'll, I think, get into a little bit later, where uh, Phoenix really tried to push King upfield and he was getting sucked into those central kind of spaces. And LA did a fantastic job punishing them by pushing their runners behind into that space. Uh, it was just a very quick move, a, another bout of really good passing for this LA team. And I, I mean, a stunning finish from Dunbar too, placed right in that corner past a Moonton goal. Kelly, your thoughts on that goal? I agree. And, you know, John touches on something I think that's really important, which is LA's passing. I mean, whoa, this is again, beautiful. Hate to admit it. Can't deny it. Just crisp passes with forward movement. I mean, they had 603 passes on the evening. That is a huge number of passes. Their pass accuracy was insane. And keep in mind, this is compared to Phoenix's 302 passes. So double, <laughs> I mean, like literally and actually double. And, you know, Phoenix normally has north of 400 passes in a night. So theirs were up, ours were down, and then their accuracy is just through the roof. They're at 88% passing accuracy. It's brilliant. It's 82% when they're in Phoenix's half, which spoiler, they were for the whole game. So, you know, once again, this goal is just a reflection of what is really happening in the broader game. They've got these beautiful passes. They've got great vision. It's a perfectly weighted ball through the Phoenix, through Phoenix's back line. Um, and King, as John said, is absolutely beat. And this is the first time you really see the frustration from King. I mean, he basically throws up his hands like what just happened. And yes, he was caught out, but he's also having trouble getting back. You know, he's just he's just getting beat. And that frustration is going to come to pass here shortly. And I think it's when the desperation sets in and desperation is not a good thing when it comes to playing defense. For sure. Two minutes later, Phoenix's Claudio Repetto, Repetto had another opportunity, this time a header, but he put it over the bar. For a short while, momentum swung in Phoenix's favor, but Low Stokes were able to take care of Phoenix's advances handily. And you could sense our frustration as we earned two yellow cards. First, Aiden Quinn had his name taken, followed by Ryan Flood. Marcus Epps and Greg Hurst both had hopeful shots on goal. Then, in the 35th minute, we saw Greg Hurst pass to himself around an LA defender, only to be taken down in the box. I called for a penal. The commentators were certain there was going to be a penalty kick, but no play on, said the referee. Kelly, were you able to maintain your calm at that moment? <laughs> Was I able to? Am I ever able to? Yes, I was. It was unfortunate, you know, and I think overall the officiating was pretty good for this match. But I think, you know, we were seeing the game get chippier and chippier. I'm not even sure that's really the right adjective <laughs> for this. I mean, as you just mentioned, there were two yellow cards already recent, you know, prior to this play. And I think the officials really didn't want this to become a, a card fest and were really trying to settle the game and made the decision to not call this. I know that's a little interesting and a little bit of a weird decision seeing as they just given two yellows to Phoenix, 
Um, but I just think it was a matter of saying, hey, let's play on, let's clean up the play, let's let this go. But it was a clear scoring opportunity. And that makes it especially painful for Phoenix fans because, you know, we've got Hurst on a run and we know what he can do when he's on the dribble, dribble moving towards goal. So it was disappointing, but, you know, I do think it was an attempt to kind of take back the game and see if we could get things to calm down. Kelly, I'm going to stick with you, John. I'll come to you in just a second. Frustration continued to build. And then in the 36th minute, Darnell King is shown the red card for violent conduct. Kelly, can you talk us through that? I can, you know, and we've been hinting at this. We've been getting to it. You know, we just talked about how the game's getting a little chippier. We've seen King get frustrated having been beat a few times down the side of the pitch. And you know, this really is a fairly flagrant play on the half of King fouling Dunbar, you know, so that second goal resulted from Dunbar beating him. King was unable to keep up and he's just trying to head this off of the pass. So there's buildup happening for Los Dos along the right side of the pitch. King and Dunbar are in the center of the pitch. And this ball is probably going to be fed to Dunbar. King doesn't want to get beat again, rather than letting this play out rather than having that foot chase um, King just takes him out you know it's in the center of the pitch and at best it's really obstruction and at worst it's violent conduct and that's what it gets called for so he basically just takes Dunbar down Um, it's a two-part it's an elbow and then like a lift and throw (laughs) I mean it's just bad it's all caught on camera and you know it was really unnecessary and I think it was just King not wanting to get beat again and trying to take matters into his own hands early and it was just really unfortunate really unfortunate it was John your thoughts Yeah, I mean, I think Kelly summed it up well. It was really a response to the fact that the game was getting a little bit out of hand, that Phoenix was under so much pressure. I think it's disappointing to see from someone with the experience level of a Darnell King, who you would expect to really be a leader in this side, to react in that kind of violent and reckless way. Um, For a Phoenix team that admittedly was kind of growing into the game and putting some pressure on LA at moments. And King has to know that by doing what he did there, he's really killing the chances of a comeback. So it was disappointing for me in that sense, for sure. Thank you, John. In the 39th minute, Aiden Quinn had a shot on goal. Great save from the LA goalie. Soon after that, Sejas blasted one of his trademarked shots from distance. The shot was blocked. It fell to one of the LA players who started the counterattack with a through ball to Johnny Perez, who raced forward with the ball, taking it through the center of the park, easily skipping over a sliding tackle from Joey Farrell. And just inside the Phoenix 18-yard box, he blasts the ball toward goal, beating goalie Ben Lund. Los Dos 3, Phoenix raising 0. John, how did that happen? I mean, it starts with that defensive shape for LA, right? They've stayed so solid in block. The Phoenix has come forward a bit, really trying to press up and get back in this game. And so Sejas, I mean, releases a real bomb of a shot and the momentum of it kind of makes the deflection fall right to the feet of a fairly advanced LA player. He's in behind because Kelly is, uh, or rather Flood is uh, pretty far up the pitch there. And it's a good look in transition. It's exactly what you didn't want to be giving up if you're Phoenix. Uh, they miss a tackle in a one-on-one situation to help uh, facilitate the chance. And Lunt doesn't really have a prayer in that sort of 
a high pressure one-on-one situation and I mean kind of game over from that point Kelly I hate to say it but it was a beautiful goal another one why do you keep making me say it (laughs) (laughs) and you know this is something Phoenix Rising has struggled with these counterattacks and as John mentioned you know everything is conspiring against Phoenix at this point including just that beautiful deflection I mean Perez just takes the ball to the house. And this is something I think, and this will come up maybe a little bit later, or maybe I'll just state it now. I think Phoenix's defense is having a hard time reading some plays and like, when do we play the ball? When do we play the pass? When do we play the player? I mean, we're just making some, some difficult decisions and, and making the wrong decision. And I think we've already sort of, we've already lost it at this point we are in desperation mode and that's when some of these bad decisions are made as well. And you have trouble reading that game. I mean, I, I really have a problem with Joey Farrell leaving his feet where he is on the field. I mean, this is just a slide tackle is always a risky play. It's really a last resort. He's very good at slide tackles, but just because you can, doesn't mean that you should, you run the risk of fouling the player in this field position. Unless you maintain possession of that ball, you haven't really achieved anything because now you're on the ground, but he doesn't get possession. He doesn't make any contact with the ball. I think he puts the team at risk and he's taken himself out of the play. And I mentioned this, you know, it's not Farrell's fault, but it's just something that you do when you're desperate. And this isn't the, this isn't the last time we'll see Farrell just slide tackling because he's not sure what else to do. So it's really not a calculated risk. And I think it's just a little bit of a sign of what's happening with Phoenix's defense. And then, yeah, it's a beautiful finish. I mean, Perez is having the game of his life. He's had two assists already in the first half. He has nothing to lose. You're heading into halftime and he just has the composure to finish this off beautifully. I mean, I'm just going to say man of the match right here, moving into the tunnel. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. So John, that takes us to halftime, an absolute nightmare scenario for Phoenix rising three goals down and a red card. Were you thinking there was any way of turning this around? I mean, at this point, if you're Rick Schantz, you sort of just have to throw on as many attackers as you can and hope for the best, right? I was pretty sold on the fact that it was maybe game over at the half, but uh, Phoenix came out looking bright again. And they, I mean, to say they controlled the run of play would be a bit uh, generous to how they played in the second half, but they were generating some chances and getting out in transition, at least at some moments. Yeah, for sure. Kelly, your halftime thoughts? They weren't great. And, you know, I think part of it was the attitude that you were seeing from Phoenix Rising that was really concerning. You know, obviously with Darnell King getting the red, we're down a man. Like that's not going to change moving into the second half. But, you know, I saw a quote from Rick Schantz prior to the match saying, you know, the great thing about this Phoenix team is that we really have a lot of moxie and we can really come back from difficult situations. And that was being tested and it wasn't looking great. So I agree with John. It was like, how many strikers can we put on and can we see some finishing, which requires composure and, you know, requires playing together. So that's what you're hoping to see as you move into that second half. In the first five minutes of the second half, LA stepped it up with three attempts on goal, all being near misses. 
While LA dominated, we made two substitutions, seeing Santi Moore came on for Claudia Repetto and Arturo Rodriguez come on for Luis Sejas. That was in the 56th minute. And John, it's right there, I think, that things started to change when you started to see that there was potentially some light. So John, did you see that Moore and Rodriguez brought a burst of energy and brought some rays of hope? Yeah, they just added a little bit, a little bit of brightness to what Phoenix was doing. Um, they really kind of left Quinn and whoever else after more substitutions just alone in the middle and really, I mean, gave Phoenix like four or five forwards at certain moments. That said, LA just kept that shape so well. So if you're Phoenix, it was sort of this rock and a hard place kind of thing where you need to throw on the forwards to have any chance of getting into this game, but you can't leave yourself that vulnerable, especially when you're a man down. So it was it was just an unenviable, unenviable situation, but they reacted about as well as you could, just given that context. For sure. In the 66th minute, Aiden Quinn found a beautiful passing lane through Two LA players straight to the foot of Marcus Epps. Perfect first touch by Epps, crossing it low to the foot of Santi Moore, who connected and sent the ball toward goal, but it was stopped by the keeper. Great build-up, great attempt on goal, and a great save. Kelly, we're just unlucky here, maybe? Yeah, I think we were a little unlucky here. I mean, why did their goalkeeper have to have the night of his life? <laughs> I mean, come on. They're playing well on both ends of the park, unfortunately. And yeah, that was too bad. Uh, kudos for sure. They've got an exceptional goalkeeper. But this was nice to see from Santi Moore. We saw a little bit of this in the preseason. You know, he is doing some things a little differently than we've seen from him, including making some of these runs, being available at the back post, using his head. So it was nice to see Santi Moore come on. And despite the fact that he didn't have a ton of minutes, I think he has about 30 minutes on the pitch. He does add some life. He does you know, bring that press in a little bit more effectively than we've been seeing. He does go direct to goal. He does hold possession more than we've been seeing from the other forwards. So he wasn't able to make it happen. But this is an example of the good effort and the good shift that he puts in with his limited time. Great. Ten minutes later in the 77th minute, Los Dos came incredibly close to making it 4-0. John, what struck me in that whole second half is that LA continued to press. They had the opportunity of sitting back and protecting their 3-0 lead, but they just didn't. They opted to continue to press. I was pretty impressed by that. What about you? Yeah, it was really impressive the way that they just never took their foot off the gas they stuck with the system that let them be so successful to start the match. And I think that generally in this sport, there's a temptation to change things up, become conservative um, when you take a lead like this, when you're facing an opponent who's down a man. And so often it dooms you, you get into this sort of situation where you're constantly inviting pressure, you lose the confidence that's put you in a good position mm. in the first place. And I mean, LA just never stepped off and kudos to them for keeping it up. Yeah. Sorry, if I could comment real quick, if nothing else, just to cover up that really weird mm sound I just <laughs> made, but I thought it was muted. And I think that's a really good point. Like so much so that I involuntarily <laughs> just said, mm. but yeah, that's well, a really like, good yeah, point. Yeah. It's like it's, when you've, um, you're watching an NFL game and you hear a team going into prevent defense where they're just giving up 20-yard passes and then all of a sudden, I mean, the defense is in danger. You yeah. don't want to get into that mentality. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a good point. And I think, 
you know, not only do they, they avoid that mentality by staying aggressive and continue to press and doing what they did to get themselves in that first place there in the first place, as you mentioned, um, wait, I had another thought. It will come back to me. Oh, criminy. Jump in anytime, Kelly. Hey guys, that brings us to the final whistle ending, ending the game three nails. So sorry. You said jump in anytime. Please do. Here I am jumping in. The other thing is, you know, Phoenix rising needs to take a little bit of a lesson from them because they have an extra player at this point and you can tell that they do. And that's the other thing is, you know, if you sit back and play defense, you kind of take away that advantage of having the extra player. Whereas by continuing to play offense, by continuing to make all these crisp passes, it's a game of monkey in the middle. You know, this is what you want to see when you're up a man. And this is something that, you know, we've noticed and commented upon in the rare instances, excuse me, where Phoenix, has an extra player we don't do much with it so I think that's kind of that one-two punch it's like continuing to play offensively and then really making the most of those extra numbers not worth interrupting everyone for three times so thanks for letting me get it out there nicely put Kelly John we've talked about what happened in the game so can you highlight for us how why Phoenix Rising did so poorly was it the defenders was it the midfielders was it the forwards talk to me So stylistically, when you're thinking about the system that LA was bringing to the table, in defense, it takes, or rather when they're building up offensively, it takes that back three shape and Kobion is going to be that leftmost central or a central defender. And you've got Owen Lamb moving from the right back spot into the midfield. So theoretically, you've got your left back player moving more central, and that's going to leave a hole that if you're Darnell King, you're going to be so tempted to try to get forward and take advantage of that space. So naturally, you've got King moving up. Then when you're suddenly LA, who looks so stout in defense and you're counterattacking so effectively, you're catching King high up the field. So King is scrambling back. He's reacting to the fact that LA is able to build down the middle and he's getting sucked in while he's recovering. So that's the double whammy of the fact that King is out of position. When out the entire rest of the defense for Phoenix has to scramble as a result, King is out and they're able to play into the channels. You go down two to nothing as a result of that sort of dynamic. So now LA is up to nothing and they're able to just continue to play effectively by pursuing this system when they're up a man and it's impossible for Phoenix to really get a foothold against that. Gotcha. Okay. So Rick Shantz, the Phoenix Rising coach has been tweaking the formation and tactics quite a bit this season. So is this a fail or do we keep trying to maneuver with, with these uh, tweaks to the formation? For me, just seeing the fact that Phoenix has run a consistent system for two to three years at this point, and obviously been as good as any team in the entirety of the USL, it feels like the natural response would be to go back to that normal 4-3-3. But at the same time, it had gone a bit rotten at the beginning of the season. You're seeing the issues with fullback positioning no matter what shape uh, the team is in, no matter who's starting at that fo- the fullback spots. So I almost think that the tweaking, the experimentation is worthwhile, knowing that you can revert back to that baseline shape that's been so successful, 
because at the end of the day, rising is going to go on these month long stretches where they don't lose because there is so much talent to fall back on. So if you can stumble upon something that works excellently and experiment a little bit and yeah, drop a game or two to a side like LA, I think it's worth that trade-off. Great. Great. Hey, Kelly, over to you. Did you see any, any bright spots with that, um, that formation today, looking at our defenders, midfielders or forwards, did anybody stand out to you? That's two questions. I mean, I didn't see any bright spots with that formation. I didn't prefer it. Obviously one could say that is in hindsight, but I just don't think it really plays to our strengths. I think we have midfielders who can be very effective offensively. And I'm thinking Kalistri, I'm thinking Sejas, I'm thinking even Quinn. So I think you're better off sort of playing more defensive, like a four, four, two, if you want to mess around with the formation a bit and see what you can do where you have those numbers a little bit more naturally back and then allow them to play forward. I think having this four, two, three, one, you're really reliant on some finishing from those forwards who are naturally playing higher up the pitch. You know, them playing defense was a little bit of an afterthought. They weren't well positioned to do so. I thought we left the middle of the park way too open. You know, Los Dos just had the run of that middle third and took full advantage of it. So I'm not as tactically minded, but that's kind of how I would sum up what didn't go well in this particular formation. In terms of bright spots, no, no one was really that bright. There were people who had better games than others, because I'd say overall, this was one of those freak games on top of it all, where we just had players not playing their best. I don't think it was Moon's best game, which, by the way, still makes a great game for him. He's exceptional. We've seen him come up so huge, and he just wasn't able to do it. I think he has saved the defense in many games prior to this and made them look even better than they really are with his big save. So he was a little off. I thought the back line in general was a little bit off, although I will say I thought um, Kevin Lambert was pretty strong and calm and we needed that. Thank goodness. And I thought Marcus Epps was more dangerous than anyone else. He was dangerous on the dribble. He held possession pretty well. He made some nice crosses. And so those are probably the only two players that I would necessarily say looked confident, looked like they were able to keep it together for Phoenix when we were otherwise falling apart. Interesting. John, possession was one stat that really floored me. Um, LA basically had twice the possession of Phoenix. They had 64%, we had 36%. You don't need possession to win, but last night it was a deciding factor. Yeah, um, I think part of it stemmed from the tactical bit that LA rolled out where Lamb would move into the center of the pitch from the right back spot. So suddenly you've got that extra presence in the middle to kind of overwhelm a Phoenix team that presses their midfielders high up the pitch and leaves a little bit of space in the center. Uh, Kelly referenced that number of 600 passes completed. Off the top of my head, I think the um, highest average for a team is El Paso somewhere around 500, which just goes to show the fact that like LA really dominated the uh, flow of this game. If you're Phoenix, I think something to worry about is the balance in the midfield and controlling the possession when you have to put Lambert at that center back spot. He's someone who's just such a safe pair of hands with the ball at his feet, kind of anchoring things in the middle. He's someone you can knock the ball back to to just recycle things and stay steady. 
And that's not to say that Aiden Quinn doesn't do that if he's taking on the deepest lying midfield spot or that Sejas can't be effective in doing the same sort of thing. But um, you're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place when the defense is a bit dysfunctional and you have to move Lambert back because of the knock-on effects. And I think you saw what happens when that balance is lost a little bit here. Yeah, totally. Guys, I took a look at the stats for this game and I was shocked to see that Phoenix had 20 shots on goal compared to LA's 15. It was just stunning. I was like, was I really watching? Am I, am I looking at stats from a different game? Um, Kelly, were there any other stats that stood out to you? We've talked about possession. We've talked about shots on goal, shots on, tar- well, we didn't talk about shots on target. We had eight shots on target. They had seven. Um, we, we talked about passing. Was there anything else that stood out to you, Kelly? No, there wasn't anything else that stood out to me. I agree with you when I saw the number of shots that definitely stood out. I, I missed most of those. <laughs> they, they didn't register for me. They didn't really register for their goalkeeper who scooped everything up pretty handily, except for that shot from Quinn that we talked about. Nothing else stood out for me. I mean, I, I really do think when you see the number of passes for LA, as John said, that game is summarized for you. Yeah, John, when when we win, players are often given the credit. And when we lose, the coaches often bear the burden. So is it fair to say that we lost because of tactics and not for individual performance last night? I think that LA won the game because of their tactics. But I think that it was individual performances that failed Phoenix. I think that the approach that Coach Chance brought out for this match was a really sound one, and I thought it showed potential at times. But, I mean, when you think about King being out of position, when you think about the lack of solidity in the midfield and some of the uh, – we've hit on a few players who were just not showing the energy. I don't know if I can blame the coach here. Got it. Well, guys, we're not scheduled to play Los Dos again in the regular season. And seeing as this this is their last season in the USL Championship, the only time that these teams will ever meet again would be in the playoffs. And I hope they do, because I know that if we meet again, Phoenix Rising will definitely win. John, are you sad to see these uh, remaining, the last few remaining MLS two teams go from the USL Championship? So funnily enough, I actually have a bit of a piece coming out on this in the upcoming week where I was talking to um, some people across the league who, uh, and especially some players who are really excited about the quality of play difference by getting rid of these sorts of teams. Um, And certainly I I spoke to an executive from the Eastern Conference who was equally excited. Um, There is something a little bit fun when you have an LA Galaxy in front of zero fans in a dead silent stadium come and beat a Phoenix three to nothing. But more often than not, it really kind of detracts from the viewing experience for me, at least as someone who like likes seeing fans rooting for things, likes a team that's focused solely on winning rather than development. So I think it's overall a positive, and I think it's been a long time coming for this league. Guys, our next game is against um, San Antonio FC. Can we talk about some score predictions for that? Kelly, I'll start with you. Are Phoenix going to beat San Antonio FC? It's a home game. I think it's going to be a great match, and I'm really looking forward to them being back at home. You know, we'll certainly do our part, as always, to lift the team up and contribute to that win I think we will win. I think it's going to be an excellent match. I'm going with a 2-1 win favoring, of course, Phoenix Rising. 
John, last question. Your score prediction for that game. So San Antonio hasn't lost a single match since the last time these two teams hooked up. Um, it's a tall task to go into Phoenix and get the points, but I'm going to go with a one-to-one draw. Awesome. Awesome. Guys, this has been great. John, thank you for joining us today on the Fan Experience. Always a pleasure and happy to be back eventually soon. <laughs> Fantastic. We look forward to it. Kelly, it's great talking football with you. Thanks for coming on. Uh, the pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me. Listeners, stick around for the next segment where we talk about Phoenix Rising's last deep run in the Open Cup. That was in 2014. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. This is Bobby Dooley, General Manager of Phoenix Rising Football Club, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, we've made it to round four of the Open Cup. We entered in the second round, beating local team Val United 1-0 on April 6th. It was a tough match where Val United were down to 10 men after receiving a red card in the 81st minute, and we didn't score until 25 minutes into extra time. We have Claudio Repetto to thank for that goal. In the third round match, we beat New Mexico United 2-1 on April 20th. Joey Calistri scored the first goal in the sixth minute after deflection from one of the New Mexico defenders. They equalised it in the 65th minute, but Greg Hurst was our hero on the night, as he scored with a header in the 81st minute with an assist from Santi Moore. Man, were we thankful to not have to go to extra time or penalties in that midweek game. That goal by Greg Hurst secured a spot in round four of the US Open Cup. This is the first time that Phoenix Rising have made it this far since 2014. Back then, the team was known as Arizona United. I've got a fantastic guest joining me to talk about our current run in the Open Cup and to talk about that fourth round Open Cup game back in 2014. Jeff Wendt, welcome to the Fan Experience. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Niall. So Jeff, tell us your history of covering Phoenix Rising. Well, it goes back to 2014 when the team was branded as Arizona United. happened chance that I was working for the Arizona Republic at the time and uh, was looking for a new opportunity to help them out uh, with some coverage and I offered and they gave me the opportunity to do that so I covered the team uh, for two years uh, through the Arizona Republic until they decided to go in another direction uh, with their coverage so then I turned to a couple of uh, fan sites that uh, had kept up on the team one being uh, ODFC News with uh, also a former colleague of mine at the Republic, Odin Domingo. Uh, He covered the team for a while there. And so I helped out with his coverage on his blog. And then a couple of years later, uh, went to a site called the Firebird Rising uh, with uh, Kyle Kepner, who now works with uh, uh, FC Arizona and and their team. So I, I helped out with them for a while. And then uh, I covered the team till 2020 and then uh, took a break away from that uh, to take care of some personal matters and stuff like that. So, but I still stay in touch with the team. I still know a lot of the, uh, a lot of the members of the staff there. So I was uh, continuing to stay in touch with them. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So we're, um, we're looking at getting to the next round coming up here soon. But before we talk about that, let's just talk about round three and and how different teams that we did. We like to keep an eye on our rivals. So what stood out for you from round three of the Open Cup? Well, obviously, when you look at round three, a couple of things kind of stand out before we get to the games that were played. Um, 
you go back and Phoenix and Tucson were both, uh, were both slotted into round three. But the interesting thing was we couldn't be paired. We couldn't be paired in the same group because there were too many teams within the draw. So when you go back and look at the draw originally, the first draw that actually happened was between Phoenix and Tucson being placed in, in different regions. And we kind of got lucky in that draw from us soccer being put in a, more of a mountain region than versus being put in the Western region where we missed all most of the, the MLS teams with LAFC, LA galaxy, uh, San Jose. We, you know, we kind of missed that whole ball of wax in that, in that first draw. And then to be fortunate enough in the second draw to know that only two of the four teams in your region were hosting and you were one of them. The other being an MLS squad, you obviously knew you were you were missing the MLS squad. So you had you had the feeling you had a better chance of, of getting through round three. So, you know, you look at that first off um, when you look at some of the, the, the surprising results, obviously RSL losing to North Northern Colorado Hailstorm obviously stands out in, in, in first off. I mean, you don't expect a, a NISA team to go up to to uh to, to rsl and 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 grab a one nothing victory i mean that was just surprising in itself right there that, that they were able to do that um no that's me you know everybody watched san diego and la galaxy uh go at it obviously our, our rivals to the south but i wasn't quite surprised at that result i mean i know landon you know has his foot there in San Diego, you know, they're doing real well in the league so far this year. But going in, going into LA is just a monumental task, asking a USL squad to, to, to come out with a result. And, and obviously LA Galaxy got the result they needed to move on to the next round. Um, those were a couple that stood out to me. I mean, obviously, you know, FC Tucson, you, you hated to see them lose the way they did uh, to California Strikers. Um, you know, a late goal there that got them through. Um, but, you know, considering that the squad, you know, down in Tucson was was probably not quite fully up to, to speed as far as, as gameplay because they've only had a couple of games in USL 1 so far. So, I mean, a good result for them, but but not surprised that California got through. Right, right. A surprise for me was to see both Chicago Fire and Columbus Crew be eliminated. So yeah, I was I was a little bit surprised there as well. I mean, you, you don't expect a, a new championship side in, in Detroit City FC to go, you know, and and host Columbus, get through the result there, but then but then to have Chicago at home against a USL one side in, in union Omaha. And don't get me wrong. Union Omaha is a great USL one team. I, I can't wait to see the things that they do this year um, because they were a strong side. And obviously, you know, with Phoenix rising, grabbing Greg Hurst from them, you know, that, that was a huge, a huge grab for us, you know, but for them to come out with a result and get onto the next round is very surprising as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we got Greg Hurst from from uh, Union Omaha and you mentioned San Diego and they got the other striker, Evan Conway, who's doing really well at San Diego. So also in, in round three, we saw the end of the amateur clubs. There was uh, North Carolina Fusion under 23s. They're a USL League Two and FC Motown 
from the NPSL. So they were eliminated, but I'm not sure if you're aware, they got a prize for being the fur furthest to advance in their division. Did you hear about that one? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, that's that's been something that U.S. soccer has always prided themselves on is, is you know, awarding prize money to these lower uh, division clubs that that get through the, the, the earlier rounds of the tournament. I think it's a great thing to see. I mean, they'll, they'll be able to use that for, for some great, you know, things on down the line. I mean, you always love the, the open cup atmosphere of, you know, seeing, you know, the little dogs, you know, try to fight through the tournament, just like you see it in, in say the English FA cup and in tournaments of that sort. And you always love to see the, the underdog pull through and obviously, you know, we didn't quite get there, you know, with a team to get to the fourth round, but, but uh, you know, a good showing for them that, that they came through to the third. So, yeah, for sure. And they walk away with $25,000, which, uh, which will go a long way in, in, in their league yes, for their team. So we, uh, we say goodbye to, uh, to a whole bunch of teams and we move on to the next round, round four, which is the round of 32. So how's that looking, Jeff? Well, the round of 32, quite interesting. Obviously, you know, the, you know when, when we saw the groupings come out uh, before the draw, um, obviously a lot of California teams still stuck in the mix. So you know, and with, with the rules that, that certain teams that were coming into the next round couldn't be paired with each other. Um, it was, you know, it was interesting, but not surprising to see that we got slotted into a more Northern region. I mean, cause you still have LAFC, you still have LA galaxy, you still have the California strikers still stuck in there. And so obviously could Phoenix go in that group? They could have, but I think they got, I think they got a nicer draw with, with being with Sacramento and San Jose and Seattle. Obviously, we got lucky. I mean, we got luck of the, you know, Sacramento gets luck of the draw by hosting. Seattle got the luck of the draw by hosting. And then when you saw Phoenix's name get pulled next to Sacramento, a little bit of relief. But it would have been nice to have played either Seattle or. San Jose, but, you know, I think Sacramento will provide, you know, a good challenge for us. I mean, obviously going up there has always been a challenge for us. You know, a lot of draws, a lot of one nil games that we play with Sacramento. I mean, I'm looking forward to the same thing, you know, in a couple of weeks, I think that, you know, there's a, there's a chance sitting right in front of us there. And I, I don't see why Phoenix rising can't take advantage of this and get into the round of 16. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed for that for sure. So we, we go to Sacramento and if, if memory serves me well, last time we went to Sacramento, it went well for us, but they're not the same team that they were last year. Um, you know, they, even though they didn't make the playoffs, they they kept their coach and and he really gutted the team, removing a lot of what I thought were some of their best performers like Fermella. He was a fantastic midfielder um, and he's gone to another team, maybe Monterey Bay right now. Um, but but yeah, they're, they're not the same team. They're revamped and they're doing they're doing pretty well this this time around. So we'll see how it goes. What date is that game, Jeff? That game is slated for 
uh, Wednesday, May 11th. It's a 7.30 Arizona time start. So that's a, you know, it's, it's a good advantage to play at night up there. So I, I, I think that that will be a benefit. Obviously, you know, what will be more important will be how is the health of the team at the time. Obviously, the, the bigger concern is, okay, so we play Sacramento on a Wednesday, and then we've got to turn around and play Tampa Bay on a Sunday. So, I mean, it will be very interesting as to the type of lineup that Rick will put out there. Um, does, does he decide he wants to go for it and get to the round of 16? Does he decide he wants to lay back and, and worry about the league a little bit, especially with a marquee matchup of that sort? It'll be interesting to see what he decides to do at that time. Yeah, for sure. And um, I put a poll up on, on Facebook and the majority of, of people said we need both of those. You know, we need to prioritize both the cup game as well as the league games. It's a hard one for Rick. You know, he's got to juggle. He's got a game the weekend before, like you said, the weekend after and a midweek game. So I, I, that's one thing that I don't envy of his job. So if we make it through, then it's the round of 16. So tell us about that. When is that draw? How many groups? Um, will there be an East versus West structure? Maybe it's not even known yet, Jeff. It's probably not known. The draw would be May 12th, the, ne the next day. Um, they would have the, the round of 16 and the quarterfinal draw at that time. Um, I would, my, my guess would venture to be that you, you would probably still have four pods of four. You would have the, the four West Coast teams who they might be. You might have a kind of a kind of a central region, I guess you could say. You you would have definitely have an East with with like DC United and you know Red Bulls on one side with Orlando and Philly. You know, you could have four in the East there. You could have four in the South. It, it'll be interesting to see how they pair them because obviously, with the with the round of thirty two draw, it was more interesting because with the eight MLS teams that came into that draw, they had to be separated and couldn't face each other. Well, now we get to a point where you can face, you know, you can face anybody at this point. So I, I think it will be interesting to see how the games play out. And, and, you know, once you see a lot of results come from there, you'll start to see kind of pods because obviously they want to keep everybody within a regional you know, not having to travel too far. So I, I would not be surprised if you see four sets of four pods and then may, you know, maybe a West versus central, maybe a South versus East when you try to match up you know, uh, quarters of the bracket, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they set that up. Great, great. And I definitely hope we'll be in it. So we can't really predict any further than that. So let's close the loop with Phoenix Rising and let's talk about your memories of the last time that Phoenix Rising made it to the round of 32. So where was it played, first of all, Jeff? Well, let's let's go back to that game was played at Peoria's uh, Sports Complex. Uh, it was a fourth round game against MLS side LA Galaxy. Um, when you look back at that season, you have to remember that that team was very hastily put together. Um, at the time, Kyle Ng, who was the the owner of the team, you know, obviously, you know, people remember the story, uh, met with the USL leadership in a 
a conference room at the at the uh, Sky Harbor Airport just to put the put the touches on forming the team. Uh, then you know you hastily find a coach, you hastily put a roster together. Um, it, it was quite an interesting first. I guess you would say 60 to 90 days for that club. Um, wow. So, so, you know, obviously just even getting in the, getting in the cup was, was obviously interesting. Then you get through, you beat Seattle Sounders U23. Then you beat the Timber, or I'm sorry, you beat Timbers U23s in the second round. Then you beat Oklahoma City in the third round uh, and at Peoria to get to the fourth. My biggest memory from that game is is Bruce Arena comes out pre-match and checks out the field. Looks around and he's looking at a baseball complex. <laughs> gets his gets a tape measure out <laughs> and starts to measure the lines to make sure that it is legal size. Now, Kyling always tells me the story that that somewhere buried in all of his his paraphernalia that he has from from his Arizona United days, he says that he has the tape measure that they used <laughs> measure those lines that day. Um, I I I, I kind I just I I laugh every time I hear that story. Um, sure. But you go from, you know, you went from a crowd that you usually get about 1,000 to 1,500 at most of these games early because obviously the brand is not real well known. But you get over 4,000 fans for this game, which was great. Um, you obviously had, at the time, what would have been Laferia Roja would have, would have been at that end. Um, Obviously, he had a thrown-together squad with Michael Delarusso as the coach. I mean, he went out and found a lot of his Maryland contacts that he had, and you know, uh, London Woodbury and Scott Morrison. We had Evan Newton in net. I uh, found Matt. He went and found Matt Castle. Uh, they had just missed out on getting Long Tan in the squad. You know, he he would have come about a month later, but you know. You're the, you're the USL little boys that are are just there and your eyes are saucers playing LA Galaxy. <laughs> but then you get the first goal. Oh my God. Castle scores in the 37th and you get that first goal and you're like, wow, wait a minute. This is really going to happen. But then along comes LA Galaxy and they show their might. Wow. And we remember and we remember Jossie Zardes ties it, puts in a second 15 minutes later. And now and now Arizona United's chasing, trying everything they can. And obviously LA Galaxy being the squad that they were at that time, you know, obviously they used a lot of their second team guys, you know, with with Chandler Hoffman and with uh Robbie Rogers. Jaime Pinedo, and then, you know, some of the known names at that time, you know, they had A.J. Del Garza, they had Juninho playing for them. Um, so, in the end, 
was it a fair result? Yeah, it was a fair result because of what they did. But to see rising I, at that time, sorry, Arizona United, see them get that far was just uh, a pleasure in itself. So it was, a, Amazing. it was a joy to cover that game. So were they the, the days of Landon Donovan, Robbie Keane, David Beckham? Was that around that time? No, that would have been that would have been um, probably before I think. Okay. Because this, yeah, because because Zardis was the biggest name. Well, Beckham was. I think Beckham was there, but I know he didn't make the trip. I know gotcha. they, like I said, they 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 only threw a couple of their what would have been at that time would have been the younger more more potent players you know that they felt at the time were 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 the the ones that would handle this squad you know but i think i think to a point i think bruce kind of underestimated him but and again i you remember their you know their squad is twice the size what Arizona United's is and twice twice the talent level and so obviously he knew he could leave a number of his players behind and and, and bring in his second squad and, and be okay with the result. Wow so Bruce Arena obviously went on to great things with the U.S. men's national team and then with the New England Rebs. Same for Sardes right? Sardes is still you know uh, a contender on the men's national team was with Columbus Crew, um, is a legend with Columbus Crew, and just just recently um, signed with RSL. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, definitely an interesting move for him. And so, um, you know, seeing his career, you know, from a day like here in 2014 when when he was playing in a soccer stadium, uh, playing in a baseball stadium, you know, makes it, makes it kind of fun and interesting. And, and, you know, you watch his career and like you said, men's national team, and obviously still in the mix for, for, for world club, you know, for the world cup for 2022. And so, yeah. you know, it's great to see things like that. Yeah. It's, back a, at it. it's exciting. I met him when he was, when he was back in Phoenix with Columbus crew playing in, in a preseason game, maybe it was the 2020 maybe 2019 but yeah it was a it was actually a really good game columbus crew won but um it was there were really there was really good play on on both sides of of the field um so that sounds really good so the final score jeff was 2-1 to la galaxy is that right yeah that's correct it was 2-1 to galaxy gotcha and that's the best that the team have ever done up to today that as is far correct. as the U.S. Open Cup has gone. Wow. So uh, what's your prediction for this next game? If we stay healthy, I mean, that's obviously the key at this point. But if we do, I think we can get a 2-1 result out up there against Sacramento. I could see, you know, I think we've seen in the Open Cup, I've seen, we've seen Rick use some some nice lineups. And I think... If he decides to go for it full out, I think you'll see Hurst and Rapetto both finding themselves on the field for that match in the starting 11 if he decides to go for it. I think if he decides to, to look at similar lineups as to what he's used in the last couple of rounds, 
you know, then I think he goes towards maybe a Marcus Epps. Maybe he goes towards an Arturo Rodriguez um, kind of lineup. But I think we can go up there and get a result. I think even though Sacramento is a, is a good club, um, you know, the success that we've had against them in past matches, especially in, in big matches, when you look back at the last time the two played a, a meaningful game, it was the, the playoffs uh, a couple of years ago in, in 2020. You know, obviously Sacramento fans like to remember the, the Solomon Asante handball incident, <laughs> yeah. but they love that. You know, obviously, obviously, you know, we've had better results when the big games are on the line. So I think we can do it again and, and get something out. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. I certainly hope so. Jeff, it's been, been amazing going down memory lane with you to talk about that 2014 game. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your memories. Thank you very much for having me, Niall. Awesome. Appreciate it, Jeff. Can we go now? <laughs> okay. This is Sarah from Union 602, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, John Morrissey from the USL Show podcast and at USL Tactics on Twitter is back with us on double duty today to bring us news and results from around the league that matter to Phoenix Rising fans. John, lots to talk about with big wins, big losses, although none bigger than the Phoenix Rising loss, and one particularly notable signing by an East Coast team who's expected to make a big impact. John, welcome, thanks for coming back, and let's get into it. Hey Niall, happy to come on for the usual recap. Uh, Busy week, and I think it's kind of the development of trends and streaks that we're really getting into at this point of the season, so excited to hit on a bit of that. Um, just starting off, we had a quick bit of midweek action out east. Birmingham beat Charleston in a game where, I mean, the battery looked okay, but they're just not a great side at this point in time. Too focused on long balls, not quite dangerous enough in the attack, and Birmingham really rounding into form. A team with a lot of preseason expectations that got off to a bit of a slow start, but again, they've looked good in recent weeks, moving Enzo Martinez to striker, interestingly. Uh, getting into the weekend a bit though, Detroit uh, completed a four game winning streak in the first of these mentions with yet again, a late performance where they made the changes to beat a spunky New York side. Uh, New York has switched into a back three in recent uh, vintage. They look good against Tampa. They looked good against Detroit, but just can't hold on. Uh, speaking of streaks, Loudon extended a five game losing streak with a three to one loss against the El Paso locomotive just the second win of the year for El Paso, and they were poor for the first half of this game. It's just the usual story with their defensive mistakes, bad positioning. Uh, One thing to note there is that whenever they put Eder Borelli on the pitch at left back, things change, so he kind of has to be a nailed starter in my estimation. Um, Another streaking team is the Indy 11, close to home for me, uh, extended their streak to four wins with a one nothing game against Hartford. And that was very stop-start amidst weather delays. Um, Hartford looked okay here, I guess. They've added Corey Herzog, the second all-time leading scorer in the USL. But they're just a bit feckless, and you have to wonder maybe when the coaching questions start to arise there. Um, in one of the bigger results of the weekend, San Diego down Tampa Bay 3-2. to two. Tampa has four points out of a possible last 15 and really can't figure things out for anything at the moment. That said, everything changed for San Diego 
when they were able to get out and transition. Uh, and that was with the substitutions of Kyle Massell, who I've mentioned a number of times, and Jack Blake, who is really a journeyman within the USL, but always a top caliber player. Those two interchanged well, sparked breaks, and looked excellent for this loyal side. Uh, the real big result of the weekend, though, was the Louisville 2-0 win over Pittsburgh. Uh, by my calculations, it was something like a 1.9 to just 0.8 XG margin in favor of Louisville, and they were just dominant. Uh, their pressing system was completely unchanged. They go into this game playing their style of soccer and realizing that it can beat basically anybody in this league, and they dominated a Pittsburgh team that has looked really solid. So Louisville is still undefeated to this point of the season and looks to be probably the prohibitive title favorite. Uh, elsewhere, Miami down to Memphis, two to one. Now Memphis in the other uh, Eastern midweek game had beaten Tampa Bay, ironically, but Miami came out and pressed them hard, didn't let them get into the middle of the pitch and really took the screws to them in the first 10 minutes or so. Uh, funnily enough, both of their goal scorers were former Memphis 901 players. So I just found that a little bit entertaining. But uh, these are both playoff teams at the moment in the Eastern table. Uh, moving on to the Western action from the weekend, San Antonio beat Monterey 6-0. And that might have been a friendly scoreline for Monterey. They are just, uh, they being San Antonio, are just so sharp when they can get out in transition. I think Elliot Collier has been one of the signings of the season. He's someone who has been typecast as this kind of target man hold up forward, but he's really pacey, good uh, with the ball at his feet. He's been so impressive. And that's a fourth straight win for a really good San Antonio side. And on the flip side, fourth straight loss for Monterey. Uh, we saw Orange County down RGV two to one. Uh, not a ton to note there. Orange County has moved into a back four recently. I really like Shauna Coley getting into the lineup, but RGV is holding on to the last playoff uh, spot at the moment, granted with a couple of games in hand. They're chippy, and I like Frank Lopez up top. Uh, Sacramento, with a home game here, drew against the Las Vegas Lights, one-to-one. -one. Las Vegas continuing to look solid, Danny Trejo getting his looks. Sacramento did win this game, really, for me, in terms of the pure performance. And I kind of think that both of these teams alongside your San Antonio's, your Phoenix's kind of form this like top six within the West where I see these as maybe the last two solid playoff teams, which is kind of incredible when you uh, lump Las Vegas into that consideration, just given the context of how kind of dysfunctional they come off and the weirdness of their off season. But just one more game to hit with another one of those top six teams, Colorado Springs, uh, downing Oakland three to nothing. And this has to be the most misleading scoreline of the entire weekend. Oakland really controlled this game for probably the first 60 minutes or so. Um, they looked completely dominant pressing through the middle of Colorado Springs, which is wild to be saying. And Jeff Caldwell just stood on his head for the switchbacks. He had a penalty save that'll be the highlight here. But I mean, every time Derek Formella broke through or the Roots got a good chance, he was there to make a difference and stop it. And then the switchbacks, being the switchbacks, just have this dynamic way that they play. They counterpress and press you, and they were able to break through, and then Oakland had to open up, and it kind of spiraled from there. So that's what we're looking at in terms of the action so far. Uh, the Rising got to wrap up the weekend this time around, which is fun, but that's sort of the status report elsewhere.
So awesome, John. I saw the OC and RGV game and was seriously disappointed by the quality of play on both sides. But luckily, I switched over to the Sac Republic and Las Vegas Lights game, which was highly entertaining and just fantastic for Rising fans, because although Rising didn't get a win in Week 8, having Sacramento Republic and Las Vegas Lights draw was a consolation prize, I guess you could say. Also, John, you opened up by saying that you're going to be hitting on trends and streaks, and that sums up your segment nicely. I'm definitely noticing those trends and streaks too, with the dominant teams, for the most part, continuing their dominance, and the weaker teams continuing to slide. Your insights are fantastic, so thank you, and I look forward to checking with you again next week. Thanks, John. Hello, this is Juan Uresti from 90 Mass Rising, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, next up for our boys is a home game against San Antonio FC on Saturday, May 7th. San Antonio are having a fantastic season with seven wins and just one loss. I'm delighted to say that their one loss was at the hands of Phoenix Rising when the two teams played each other in San Antonio just a few weeks ago on April 2nd. Phoenix won that contest 2-0. San Antonio should feel good about their winning streak. They're in first place, that's joint first place, in the standings. However, with one exception, all of the teams they beat are teams that are generally weaker teams, or at least teams that have not been doing very well this season. They played LA Galaxy 2, El Paso Locomotive, RGV, New Mexico, Orange County, Monterey Bay, none of whom who've more than three wins under their belt, and all of whom are in the bottom half of the Western Conference standings, even Los Dos. The one exception is Detroit City FC, who are proving their worth being currently in second place in the Eastern Conference. There's always an outlier. San Antonio FC play with three at the back. Mitchell Tainter, Carter Manley and Fabian Garcia were the three centre-backs on deck when they played us on April 2nd. In the game roundup for that match, John Morrissey was with us and he topped up Carter Manley and it's interesting to note that Manley has since been moved to a wing-back role on the right side of the pitch. So maybe John Morrissey is not the only one paying attention to the dynamism that he brings. Former Rising player David Loera is currently out injured, but an equally threatening player who has returned from injury is Justin Dillon. It's possible that we could see Loera and Dillon get the start against Phoenix. If you see that, you'll know that they mean business. Other players to watch out for include striker Elliot Collier. He was on the field but didn't score last time San Antonio met Phoenix, but he is San Antonio's top goal scorer, so watch out for him. Finally, Mohamed Abu, or Mo Abu, is a highly regarded player who will likely be in the midfield, playing the number 10 if David Loera is still out injured. San Antonio FC will be on high spirits when they travel here looking for revenge and being in top form, having made club history in their last game. They beat Monterey Bay 6-0, which is the largest win they've ever had. What's concerning is that those six goals came from six different players. So our boys will have their hands full and Rick Shantz will have his hands full trying to play and perfect the starting 11 for this game and for the Open Cup game on May the 11th and for the highly anticipated rivalry game against Tampa Bay Rowdies just a few days after that. Join us next week where we'll preview the Open Cup game and we'll have another segment on the Open Cup where we look at the history of the tournament and all the interesting events surrounding it. 
Huge thanks to our guests on today's show, to Jeff Wendt, to John Morrissey for pulling a double shift, and of course to Kelly McCarthy. If you enjoy the show, share this episode with a friend, retweet us on Twitter, give us a thumbs up on Facebook, and give us a five-star rating on your podcasting platform. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks for subscribing and following this podcast. We love hearing from you, so send your questions, thoughts, and ideas to thefanexperiencefc at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at fanexperiencefc, and the invitation is always there for you to come on the show and talk rising. The FA Cup is coming up soon too. Liverpool take on Chelsea for the second cup final this year. Who are you cheering for? That's awesome, but you know who I'm cheering for? Go Rising! <laughs>